Hello and welcome to the programme. You can visit the website anytime you like, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. So a busy programme ahead of us tonight. Let's say hello to the panel and we start in Kilrush, I believe, in County Clare with Aina Aina. Hello, Derek. How are you doing? Yes, I'm in County Clare. I'm in Kilrush, where I've been over to Looped. I've been overlooking at the sea and I saw lots of puffins and they had their mouths filled with sand deals, mm. which is great to see, given the, the, the scarcity of, of sand deals and puffins. So that was a lovely sight. And then, of course, the dolphins are being seen by everybody else up and down the coast from Kilkee south to Looped. Everybody else except me. When I go out to see dolphins, they all seem to go on their holidays someplace until I'm safely on, but I am assured that they are here. So with any luck now, the basking sharks might come and I'd see those as well. But West Clare is living up to its wildlife reputation and it is great to see it. So this is where I'm talking to you from, Derek. Isn't it great? Fantastic. And appropriately enough, you mentioned Puffins. Niall Hatch was at the Cliffs of Moher last Tuesday for that very reason to make a documentary for the programme about Puffins Nile. Yes, so in another part of County Clare and it really is magical at this time of year especially and I was delighted to see some of the puffins still there. It's at that time of year when it's kind of touch and go. It's when they start to depart from the breeding colony so if you miss time it even by a day or two they could all be gone but thankfully there are quite a few of them still swimming around in the water underneath the sea stacks and the cliffs there and the weather was glorious and sure where else would you want to be on a day like that? And we'll be having a little report from you later from that very spot. Yes indeed, hope it sounds okay. It'll sound fantastic, Niall. Now, Richard, I see that James Ephraim Lovelock died during the week. He was an English independent scientist, environmentalist and futurist and indeed a friend of Mooney Goes Wild. Yes, indeed, Eric, that was very sad news for you and I particularly because we went to visit him on the occasion of his 100th birthday. Mm -hmm. And he entertained us royally, himself and his wife, and we had a great afternoon discussing all kinds of things. And how lucid he was. Absolutely. When he was 100, you forget that he was 100 at that time. But he was a youngster, really, when it came to discussion. And he went back over his life and things he did and things that happened. Most interesting man. Sorry to see him go. Now, he was well known for many things, but in particular, his Gaia hypotheses. Can you explain? Well, the Gaian theory was a theory that the Earth is a kind of uh, an organism, if you like. Organisms want to keep themselves intact, so they correct things, so that they maintain equilibrium. And he thought the Earth, like your body, if the temperature rises, your body compensates. If you need more oxygen, your breathing speeds up. And he thought the Earth did the same sort of thing, that it regulated itself, that it watched aberrations and it corrected them. But he was also an inventor. Yes, his great invention really was the electron capture detector, which he had there with us. He showed it to us, if you recollect, when we were there. Now, this device measures CFCs in the atmosphere. Very damaging. They damage the ozone layer leading to the great hole over Antarctica, which caused so much fuss long ago. Well, he invented that and he came to Ireland to test it out. He wanted to go to the most pristine air around and he argued that the air coming in across the Atlantic was going to be purer, have lower levels of CFCs. Once it crossed into Britain and Ireland, it went over cities and it picked up the pollution and he claimed to have demonstrated that. But he spoke very warmly of his days mm. in Ireland, if you recollect. We can have a listen to a clip from tomorrow night's 
repeat program just to whet your appetite. Here it is. What was your your greatest invention? What was the really outstanding now, invention in your life that you have? Well, I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> These two things. Oh my gosh! I come back because I'm comfortable there. That was a thing called the electron capture detector, and it found the uh, CFCs in the atmosphere. Strangely, uh, over Ireland. Yes, uh, the, over Britain and Ireland, but you did a yes. lot of work over Ireland. Was Ireland superior because it had a cleaner air or was less polluted? So you went yeah. there for that reason. But you're so right, and uh, you're lucky people. <laughs> Can <laughs> you explain them. to our listeners and to me exactly what the electron capture detector invented in 1958 by your good <laughs> self is, what it does, and why it was so important? At the time... It was the most sensitive device for finding contaminants in the air uh, that was in existence, and not just slightly more sensitive. Uh, it was sensitive by an order of several million times more sensitive. Indeed, I think it now uh, that it's a quantum device, really, although at the time, being an inventor, I was less concerned with what made it work, than uh, having it work. It has another virtue, which is quite rare with devices. It's an absolute device. In other words, by knowing what the current flowing in it, when there's a signal comes in, you can calculate accurately the amount of the compound in the air. And you can hear that interview with James Lovelock tomorrow night in the Munigoswad slot from 10pm right here on RT Radio 1. He died last Tuesday on his birthday. Can you believe it? The 26th of July, he was 103 years old. Anyway, tomorrow night, RT Radio 1 from 10pm. Let's say hello now to Terry Flanagan, who seems to have been in every corner of Ireland over the past few weeks. Terence. I have indeed, Derek, following all kinds of animals and all kinds of plants. And while I'm travelling, I'm listening to the news in the mm-hmm. car. And isn't it ironic that the breaking news in the media about the common cranes breeding here in Ireland, for the first time in 300 years, when we've been reporting this for four years now. Even... <laughs> That's always the way, Terence. It's always the way. When you think of it, last year, ecologist Dr Mark McCurry, he was on the programme and he was talking about their nesting activities in the Midlands since 2019. Now, we know they were unsuccessful in 2019 and 2020, but it's thought that they did manage to fledge at least one young bird last year. But there's even better news this year, Derek. They've nested again, and this time they have successfully hatched two chicks, and they're doing really well. So why have these birds reappeared after hundreds of years? Well, a lot of it has to do with the habitat. They like wet bogs, and in the recent past, under the watchful eye of Mark and other ecologists, Bored Nimona have been re-wetting their bogs, creating ideal habitat, not just for the cranes, but also for a huge variety of other flora and fauna. It seems that the right conditions are being created for all this wildlife. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the cranes that are benefiting. Insects like the marsh fritillary butterfly, Ireland's most protected insects. Birds like egrets, we've got insects like dragonflies and damsonflies, and they're all now commonly seen on the bog. Anyway, I recently travelled to a secret location to meet Mark. And all I can say is that he took me to a bog in the Midlands, somewhere I'd never been before. 
bogs. They're such wonderful places. Absolutely silent. No cars, no people, just the sound of nature. And here in this bog, with the work that's being done, the results and sights are amazing. Such a variety of insects was incredible. And whereas I came to chat about the cranes, we ended up talking about so much more. Okay, Terry. Well, this is as far as I can bring you. Uh, we're standing on this lovely rewetted um, cutaway bog. We're looking out at this lovely wetland. And just in the distance, this is where these cranes have come and and nested. So we're not actually going to get to the site of the nest. Now, I understand that and you want to keep it a secret for very good reasons. Absolutely. Well, sure, we want to avoid disturbance to uh, the, the crane nest. This is obviously the first crane nest in Ireland for probably going on 300 years that we're aware of. And it's really exciting. So we want to give these birds as good a chance as possible. Now, did cranes nest here last year and the year before? They did. So we're really excited. I was in talking to Derek last year. They produced two chicks last year. We weren't sure whether those chicks were predated or whether they got away. But we're really happy that they came back again this year. And this is their third year. And they have now produced two more chicks. So in the past week or so, those chicks have been uh, running around and they're, they're starting to follow their uh, mommy and daddy and, and look for insects. They're starting to forage. Now, this is a real good news story because cranes have been extinct in Ireland for about 300 years. Yeah, they're a very iconic bird. Uh, lots of people would be uh, like aware of the hern. But this bird, the Korean, would nearly stand uh, you know, twice as tall, nearly as tall as, as you and I, like between 1.5 and 2 metres. And uh, they were hunted. They were hunted for food and probably for feathers. And this is why they went extinct uh, you know, 300 years ago. But they were very common 300 years ago because I know they were used for food. Yeah, and seemingly they were very highly regarded in, in myth, mythology. Uh, Lorcan O'Toole has written a book about this and he has looked at um, place names across Ireland that you know indicates cranes were in these wetlands. The crane is very similar to the heron and a lot of people in Ireland would refer to herons as cranes. So they must have some association with people. They must have gone back for hundreds of years. I, I think so, and sure, my own dad, uh, I'm from County Antrim originally, uh, my own dad calls the hern, the hern cran. And probably it's one of these names where uh, it's associated with, uh, you know, a, a tall wetland bird where, uh, you know, has big long legs and, and, and some of these names, uh, you know, were associated with, you know, several different species. So it obviously talks to how, you know, these birds have had a long association with the Irish landscape. And is it true that at one stage, when they were here in Ireland, that they were a pet? Yeah, seemingly so. Uh, you know, I don't know how you would keep a, a crane as a pet. Now, uh, I'm thinking about the poor cat in, in, my, in my house, and uh, it's obviously a pet. You know, what would you do with a crane? Uh, obviously, it'd be outside, I presume, uh, and you'd have to feed it every day. Like, you know, maybe it was a guard, like a goose. I don't know, you know. So let's talk about developing the new habitat, because Bordnamona are now no longer extracting peat. They're into the creation of energy, but also into restoring the environment. 
Yes, we stopped uh, producing pizza uh, two years ago and the whole company has changed direction. It's very much focused on, on renewable energy, on s- the circular economy and really delivering, you know, supporting Ireland in terms of delivering on the National Climate Action Plan. And so that, for, that from a commercial side, that means renewable energy. But Bordenmona is a significant landowner. We have 80,000 hectares of land. And some of that land will be used for biodiversity. Biodiversity would be the main land use. And like other sustainable land uses will be important there as well in terms of amenity and and so on. But a lot of these uh, sites are going to be rewetted and are going to support fantastic biodiversity. What are the benefits of that? Well, there's there's huge benefits. Uh, obviously, Bordemona are rewetting lots of bogs in the Midlands now as part of the Peatland Climate Action Scheme. This is a scheme funded by government and by Bordemona. It has an overall budget of 108 million, and it wants to deliver rewetting of 33,000 hectares of these cutaway peatlands over the next few years. So last year we rewetted 8,000 hectares of peatlands, which is is amazing, really. That's across 19 bogs. That involved a lot of our staff that were you know, previously involved in peat extraction, but now they're carrying out activities to re-wet these bogs. And that means getting into an excavator and blocking up drains that they formerly would have maintained in the past and carrying out all our actions to bring water levels to the surface of the peat. So when we talk about re-wetting, we want that bog, that residual peat, to be soggy and wet. And that's, if we can get into that condition, that's brilliant for climate action because it means we're locking that carbon into the ground. And it's also fantastic for biodiversity. Sure, we're standing here and sure the flies are buzzing all around us. This is definitely good for pollinators. We can see dragonflies and damselflies and butterflies. And again, all these species have naturally colonised. So it just shows the power of nature again to recolonize and what we want to see is that recolonization in a wetter landscape rather than a, a drier landscape. So how is this re-wetting helping the crane? Well like we're really excited in that these birds came to Ireland and they've chosen to breed in one of these re-wetted peatlands. So it indicates that this is a, a, a developing habitat uh, these rewetted peatlands, like this area where we're standing in, this was bare peat 20 years ago, and now it's rewetting naturally and it's developing, you know, lovely carpets of bog cotton. So it's not just the cranes. The cranes are big animals that all of us can see, especially when they're flying across the sky because they're really slow flyers. It's all about the little things as well. The dragonflies, the damselflies, the flies, everything else like that. It's all helping our biodiversity. Yeah, it is. Like in the summertime, sure, everything is buzzing. And so like it just shows, demonstrates the power of nature. As soon as you turn your back, sure, we know this from our gardens, as soon as you turn your back on a bare piece of ground, nature will colonise. And so this is what we're seeing in relation to you know, re-wetting. We, we see re-wetting, uh, we see a lot of peatland species and wetland species recolonizing. We see these habitats developing. And sure, as soon as these habitats develop, birds like the common crane, but other species that are increasingly rare in the wider landscape are starting to colonise these fantastic places. Dr Mark Corrie talking to our own Terry Flanagan at an undisclosed location in the Midlands on a re-wetted bog. 
managed by Borden Amona. Now, Terry, there is a reason why we don't tell people where this location is. Of course there is, because we don't want people traipsing all over the place and frightening the birds. Remember, there are only a pair of them here at the moment. So we'd like to, to build this up so that the numbers do increase and then people can enjoy them. And the bogs, they're a wonderful location. Mm-hmm. And as Mark was saying there in, in the interview, in that report, it's not just about the cranes. It's a much bigger picture yes. than that. And it all goes back to the habitat. Now, I've been involved in this for the last 20 years or more when I was teaching. Every year I used to take the transition year students down to the Irish Peatland Conservation Council down in Lullymore and we used to go out and we used to block up the drains in the bogs. We used to go and we used to remove these invasive species. We used to remove things like the alder. And why? So that this particular plant, a little plant called the Devil's Bit Scabious, would thrive. And why do we want this plant? Because it's the food plant for Ireland's most protected insect, the marsh fertillary. And I'd have to say in that time, Lullymore Bog has probably become the best site in the country for these butterflies. So it just goes to show that looking after the habitat does so much more than just looking after one species. It looks after everything that's present. Lullymore Bog is where you were a couple of weeks ago. That's not where you are looking at the cranes. Absolutely not. Yeah, just no, on the old chance fact, people think you've given away the location. <laughs> as if anything, it's miles and miles and miles away from Lullymore Bog. Well, Terry, it's not you, even in that county. Not even in that county. Terry, you taught for 40 years now. I remember being in a place called Gainesville in Florida one time and I was out on one of these airboats on the swamps tracking alligators and they were eye-shining alligators. So the students with Professor Louis Gillette, who's now since passed away, would take big spotlights to yeah. see and they'd shine them on the water and you'd just see all these red eyes and then they'd go after and grab the alligators onto the flat boats and they would blood them and weigh them and measure them and all this kind of stuff and I remember saying to him did you ever lose any and he said you mean the students and I, I said no I the alligators I'm just wondering with the great number of students you brought down to the bogs of the years did you ever lose any no I never lost any but one of the things we used to do every year when we were finished because they were knackered remember these are Dublin kids they're coming down to the bog it was something totally new for them. They'd want to bring their phones and say, no, leave your phones at home, there's no reception. And can we bring money to go to the shop? There are no shops around. And when they get out into the bog, because we used to have to walk to the bog, and they'd stand there, and they were absolutely amazed. You couldn't see a person, you couldn't see a house. And I used to say to them, now, stop talking and listen. They could hear nothing except the sounds of nature. Oh, the and they absolutely and the loved it. Bodies. But what we used to do at the end was I used to go to a, a little soggy piece, and I used, because they were in their, their old clothes, we used to go to this piece, I used to let them jump up and down and they'd go down maybe to their ankles or sometimes maybe even to their waist in the bog and they absolutely loved it. I bet they did. Anyway, thank you very much indeed, Terry. Talk to you next week. Bye. Okay, slaw.